Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Harriet's Treasure Box. We are thrilled to welcome our guest, Damien Scott. A teacher and writer, Damien, who goes by Damie, is the Janeite behind the community Black Girl Loves Jane, a space she created after many years of having to defend her love of Austin and other Regency and Victorian authors. Damie has been a guest speaker for the Jane Austen Society of India, a panelist for the Emma's Virtual Teal House Regency Retreat, and a presenter for the Jane Austen and Company's Race and Regency Series and the Jane Austen Summer Program 2021. She has also been published in Jasna's Persuasions Online Journal. In addition to her writing and speaking work, Damie is also an advocate for celebrating and encouraging diversity in variations and adaptations of Austen and other classic literature. A graduate of Xavier University with a BA and MA in English, Damie currently teaches English composition at the University of Cincinnati Blue Ash and at Cincinnati State. Welcome, Damie. Hello, everyone. So good to have you. Glad to be here. For this episode, we are taking a look at Emma, and so headed back to Highbury to visit our old friends there. At this point in the novel, Mr. Elton has married, and Mrs. Elton has made her splash in Highbury society. Harriet is, of course, miserable. After the ball at the Crown Inn, where Mr. Elton refuses to dance with her, Harriet is finally ready to close the book on her Mr. Elton crush. She arrives at Hartfield, ready to do a bit of ceremonial cleansing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So here is the conversation between Harriet and Emma. Cannot you guess what this parcel holds? Said Harriet with a conscious look. Not the least in the world. Did he ever give you anything? No, I cannot call them gifts. But they are things that I have valued very much. She held the parcel towards her. And Emma read the words, Most Precious Treasures, on the top. Her curiosity was greatly excited. Harriet unfolded the parcel, and she looked on with impatience. Within abundance of silver paper was a pretty little Tunbridge ware box, which Harriet opened. It was well lined with the softest cotton, but excepting the cotton, Emma saw only a small piece of court plaster. And then Harriet goes on to explain that she has treasured up a little bit of court plaster that Mr. Elton once fiddled with as well as a pencil stub with no lead that Mr. Elton left on a table. These are her treasures. Sweet little Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Damie, this is such an endearing scene with Harriet. And Austin gives us a lot of detail about each of these objects, starting with the parcel itself with the most precious treasures on the top and the fact that it's a Tunbridge ware box that Harriet is using to store, store these objects in. Can you tell us a little bit more about this type of box? And why do you think Austin is including all of these details for us? Sure. So the Tunbridge box is made in Kent. And Kent, the area, is very woodsy, lots of trees. And so a lot of the employment that is happening there is using the wood, the lumber. And so Many of the people would make boxes and toys and trinkets and things and sell their goods at fairs and festivals. And also they would use or sell them as usage for souvenirs. 
because there's a spa there in Kent as well. So many tourists would come and look at these these goods and then purchase them. So the box itself is made out of wood and they become more intricate as the centuries go on where they're now made out of mosaics and metals. We're making mosaics and different scenes out of metals and different types of wood. But around this time, it would have been a pretty simple box. And then, you know, they would inscribe things on these boxes. And of course, for Harriet, it's most precious treasures. They would then maybe be painted with some veneer or lacquer, and that would be it. And so what it says to me about this box, I mean, either Harriet received it herself, like she went there and bought it, that says a lot. It says she has a little more experience than maybe Emma ever has because Kent is 40 miles away from London. And so if Harriet has gone that distance, I mean, she has a little more experience about the world around her, about other people that are around her, whereas Emma just knows Highbury. She's the queen of Highbury, but that's all she knows. So either Harriet has gone and purchased it herself or she has been gifted it by someone, either maybe Mrs. Mrs. Goddard, or I like to think that maybe her father gave it to her. I mean, because we don't know anything about this right. dad, except for that at the end, he's a tradesman who wanted to keep her concealed. Mm. And so maybe he gave her the box saying that maybe you are my most, you know, my most precious treasure, but yeah, I'm going to keep you over here. Yeah. I'm going to conceal you over here at this little school in Highbury, and that's where I'm going to keep you. It's a little symbolic, this box, of who Harriet is, either in one way or the other. Either it shows that she has been somewhere and she has more experience than Emma, or that she is the symbol of the concealment, the concealment of her father and being put away. So I think the box tells a lot about who Harriet is in one way or the other. And I do love, Damie, that you pointed out that it also is the fact that it is inscribed with most precious treasures. The fact that that's the box that was chosen for her or that she chose, whatever that is. I mean, that concealment entity that you've mentioned, as well as just, it's also this very sweet thing, right? You know, to have a box that says precious treasures. It's a very, very sweet, almost naive or childlike kind of inscription. So, Damie, the fact that Harriet actually has two very specific items that she keeps in this box that are her most precious treasures is really interesting. We have the two things. We have the court plaster, a.k.a. Regency Band-Aids, as well as a bit of pencil that has zero lead in it. So let's kind of just look a little closer at the scene with the court plaster. So this is Harriet remembering how she got the court plaster. She says, Do not you remember his cutting his finger with your new penknife and your recommending court plaster. But as you had none about you and knew I had, you desired me to supply him. And so I took mine out and cut him a piece, but it was a great deal too large. And he cut it smaller and kept playing some time with what was left before he gave it back to me. And so then in my nonsense, I could not help making a treasure of it. So I put it by never to be used and looked at it now and then as a great treat. That's the funny part is that it's like, it's not even something that he used. He just fiddled with it for a while. And then she's like, it's been in contact with his fingers. I'm going to keep this forever. (laughs) So with the scene, I mean, it's so Harriet, first of all. But then what are your thoughts on this scene, particularly in regards to what we learn about Emma's machinations? Because, you know, Harriet's sitting there saying, you know, you didn't have any court plaster, so I had to do it. And and then Emma's like, oh, um, I totally had court plaster. You know, she has this moment. (laughs) Yeah. 
What is this scene kind of giving us? Well, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the obvious thing. It's a band-aid, right? She is putting in her most precious treasures box a used band-aid. <laughs> okay, let's even go back. He doesn't give her any of these things. Right. These are not treasures that her beloved has given her. You know, like we have things in our house, things that our past relationships have given us. He gives her nothing. He has never claimed her ever in that way. So that's first. Second of all, she's holding on to a Band-Aid, okay? It's maybe a used Band-Aid because she, he had to cut it off because it was mm. too long. So why this is a precious treasure, I do not know. <laughs> so the fact that she saved this just says, again, about her naivety. The fact that she wants to be bonded to him in some sort of way. I think about, you know, the pen knife because he cuts his finger on the pen knife, right? So it's like the blood brothers kind of thing, you know, I cut my, my finger and you cut your finger. And when we melt our fingers together and there we go, we're like connected for life. <laughs> and of course, this is not the case in reality for Mr. Elton, but it becomes sort of the reality for Harriet. I mean, she has this piece of cloth, this bandaid that she is holding on to dear life because this is her connection to him. This is her manifestation of him. So that's for the Harriet side of it. But for Emma and her whole idea is, first of all, Emma doesn't remember any of this. So when Harriet comes by and she's like, oh, I got to make a confession to you. And then she confesses and she says, don't you remember this? And Emma's like, no, don't remember it. Don't remember it. Sorry. No, don't remember that. And only when eventually she remembers like, oh, yeah, I kind of do remember that because I tricked mm -hmm. you. I tricked the situation. I did have some. But I pretended like I did not. So for Emma, she's, she's a manipulator. It's a symbol and a signal of her manipulation throughout. And just like the box in which Harriet keeps all her treasures, it had to be manipulated to form it, to be shaped. And that's what Emma's doing to Harriet. She is man manipulating the situations with Mr. Elton in those circumstances that we're talking about today, she's manipulating the painting that, you know, they do that she's doing of Harriet and Mr. Elton is like, say, Oh, I'll take it and get framed. That's mm -hmm. the sort of manipulation. She's just manipulating everything. The bootlace is a great example of this. Oh, yeah, the bootlace she's manipulating. She's manipulating everybody's situation and in particular with Harriet, like a woodcarver, she's changing her, crafting her, making her fit in to her world because that's the only way she could really associate with Harriet. Harriet has to marry Mr. Elton or Mr. Churchill or some gentleman or she can't associate. She's not going to, she doesn't care about Robert Martin and Robert Martin doesn't need to be manipulated to love Harriet. Right. He's getting the walnuts. He's <laughs> eventually reading the romance of the forest. He is doing everything he can to get Harriet. But Emma is in the way. Emma's like, no. But so, yeah, so she's manipulating. So she's manipulating the whole thing and she's changing Harriet's mind. And going back to just where the box is from in Kent, if we believe that Harriet at some point went to Kent, went to the spa, got this box, it shows that Harriet, again, is a little more worldly than Emma and actually knows her mind. She knows she wants Robert right. Martin. She knew it at the beginning. Whatever chapter we get introduced to Robert Martin, she knows it. But it takes all these volumes for Miss Austin to write for us to get back to the beginning. 
for her to marry Robert Martin. And that is because Emma doesn't know her own self. And so in trying to manipulate everybody else to her thinking, in the end, Emma is the one that has to change and change her thinking. So, you know, this whole plaster thing and the manipulate, it's just a symbol of, of what Emma's doing throughout the entire novel that she's not completely sorry for yeah. either. A lot of people do not like Emma because they think she's a manipulator, which she is. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> she is. But she doesn't do it with any malice. I think she does it with selfishness, but she doesn't do it with any malice. So she doesn't want anyone to get hurt in her manipulation. But, you know, we can't control the consequence of it. There's a, you know, she knows best kind of assumption yeah. mm-hmm. on her yeah. part. And even I, at the end of uh, the, that scene, Harry's like, okay, I'm ready to burn this. And she's like, well, do you really have to burn the court plaster? I mean, you could use that later. I want to use, use Band-Aid later, but... <laughs> You know, she's like, oh, well, you can use that later. And Harry's like, no, 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 no. I got to get rid of it all. If I'm going to start again, I'm getting rid of it all. And then when that happens, that's when Emma's like, okay, well, we're going to move right on to Mr. Mm -hmm. Churchill. That's what we're going to do. That image that you've brought up of Emma as the the kind of woodcarver and kind of puppet master of Harriet is definitely reminding me of the 2009 miniseries adaptation of Emma, where they portray her as a young girl with her dolls and mm-hmm. sort of like moving them around as figures. Again, you know, for her amusement, not with malice, like you said, but definitely like, oh, I know what's best in this situation. Right. I know. Let me craft them and put them where we want them to be. Like we do, you know, our dolls. And it just, no. Just so interesting, this idea that she's trying to, she doesn't know anything about herself and yet she knows about everybody else. Yeah. Because she's living in an imaginary world. I mean, if we go back to the, the movie for a minute and the dolls, you know, when we're playing make-believe or whatever, the world goes the way we want it to go. And people do and say what we want them to say. And we choose who we want to marry and they marry us and they have nothing to do about it. But in real life, that's not it. You can't make people do what you want them to do. And for so long with Emma, she is allowed because she is the belle of the ball to shape the world she wants to shape. Her dad has very little influence on her. Her sister is not there. Even Miss Taylor coddles her and allows her to kind of rule the roost, even though Miss Taylor knows that, you know, Emma, girl, calm down. So even Miss <laughs> Taylor, Taylor allows. And so, and then even Harriet, who knows her own mind, even then allows. And the only person who's stopping her, or at least tries until the very end, is Mr. Knightley. He, he sees beyond that. And he's like, no, girl, this is not how it's going to go. You're messing up people's lives. Yeah, I feel like it's like really the brothers Knightley. When John is in town for Christmas, you know, right before Mr. Elton proposes to Emma, he's kind of like, so uh, you see what's going on here, right? And Emma's like, no, no. <laughs> Right. It's like, no, that's not happening at all. Yeah. <laughs> nothing gets by those Knightley brothers. No, no, nothing. <laughs> so along with the court plaster, Harriet also has a similar story about the discarded pencil. And I'll just read the passage here because, I mean, this whole, this whole section of the book is just chock-a-block full of great little details. Mr. Knightley had been telling him something about brewing spruce beer, and he wanted to put it down. But when he took out his pencil, there was so little lead that he soon cut it all away, and it would not do, so you lent him another, and this was left upon the table as good for nothing. But I kept my eye on it, and, as soon as I dared, 
caught it up and never parted with it from that moment. <laughs> and this one, she's like, I know the court plaster was just something he touched, but this pencil, he actually owned it. Like it was in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so both of these objects, as we have stated, are essentially garbage to Mr. Elton. And I think most of us would also consider them to be yeah. essentially garbage, but they are greatly treasured by Harriet. So Davey, why do you think Harriet would specifically choose these objects? I'm, I guess she's not going to like steal some silver off the table, you know, that he'd been eating from. That's probably like a bridge too far, but... If she could, if she would have. She would if she could have gotten away with it. But why these two objects? And what do you think that Austin is saying here about Harriet's character? Well, the pencil in itself, I mean, again, the pencil is empty. It has no lead in it. But again, it's all about, okay, he touched it. So if I touch it, then we are connected. My hand has touched his hand because we've touched this pencil. Worst game of telephone ever. Right, ever, you know? And so, again, she's using this this object. Austin is using this object as a way of showing Harriet's little naivety because, again, girl, you're not connected to him by this pencil, right? You're just not. But then it also shows how we also do these things too. I mean, we've all, again, have had these treasure things that probably really make no sense to anybody but us. You know, and by looking at it enough, like she, you know, she looks at the pencil and she holds it. That if I look at it enough, or if I hold it enough, maybe my love for him will flow to through the pencil and it'll get to him. And it means nothing to him. A lot of the things we do keep do have some symbolic some meaning to the other person because they usually have given it to us, right? So they've given us that necklace, that charm bracelet, that ring or whatever. Mr. Elton has given nothing to Harriet, nothing. Even, you know, when Emma finally realizes that Mr. Elton is not interested in Harriet, he says, I purposely didn't do any of these things unless it was for you or unless it was through you so that you could see that I was into you. I don't know where you got this Harriet thing from. Oh, but you took the picture. You took the picture all the way to get it framed. I got it framed for you because it was your painting. It could have been anything. It could have been a fruit basket. (laughs) It could have been anything. And he would have ran to get it framed because it was Emma. Right. And he was like, I purposely gave you the, the riddle about courtship. I purposely dropped it at your house. Not at Harriet's not I did purposely because I wanted it for you and so for Harriet again it just shows the naivety because she's hoping a relationship is going to happen that is not going to happen a relationship that she has conjured up in her head so we are in love but he don't know it yeah and having the pencil having that band-aid is her way of doing it There's a certain extra element there, considering that this is, it's an empty piece of pencil. Like it is, it's truly useless and not at all functional. And something about Harriet keeping that, like that little extra detail that Austin is giving us just makes it, it just makes it like that much more, both sad and sweet at the same time. Yes. Mm -hmm. This gives me big vibes of like teenage girl Zan. Zan is speaking from experience now. (laughs) This is, we're sharing you know, having that unrequited love for the senior as a freshman who he obviously has no idea that I exist. Right. But that like, oh, he dropped this at the basketball game. And so now I own it. <laughs> right. His sweat is all exactly, the exactly. <laughs> Yes. So so there's a certain amount of this that feels like 
incredibly relatable. And I don't know if that's just, you know, like just Zan's lived experience or if this is kind of something that, that Austin has tapped into, that there is this kind of sweet sweetness and naivete that goes into unrequited love that's like ridiculous unrequited love. Like there's a difference between right. like serious love because Harriet, she's in love with Robert Martin the whole time. Regardless of the fact that she's gone on these flights of fancy about Mr. Elton and later with Mr. Knightley. And so this kind of unrequited love is purposely a little bit lighter for us to handle. I mean, Harriet's heartbroken. Yes. I don't want to diminish her her pain. But at the same time, this flight of fancy about marrying Mr. Elton has never been about real love. Right. It's really never been about him. Yeah, absolutely. It's really never been about him. It's always been about doing what Emma says. It's never been about Mr. Elton because she then she said, oh, yeah, I can see now looking back. Oh, he's he's not what I thought he was going to be or should be. So it's never been about him anyway. And then, you know, the emptiness of the pencil. This is the emptiness of this relationship. Right. There's nothing there. It's just this outer shell, you know, but there's really nothing functional, usable in it. It never has been. But when she finally decides to do it, you know, she's like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I'm burning this stuff. And when I burn this stuff, you know, any feeling that I had is gone with it. And it's because it never was deep enough to take root. It was all in these things, you know, a pencil and a mandate. Yeah, I don't get the sense that there's some big heartbreak that Harriet's going to be looking back on like 60 years (laughs) hence, like, oh, my love for Mr. Elton. (laughs) Right. And let's talk a little bit about the burning of the objects, because there is something that Harriet is like, she's, she is kind of making this a ceremony in some ways, mm-hmm. right? It's catharsis. Very yeah. much so. So so Harriet announces, I want to burn these two items. I am resolved to forget Mr. Elton. It is meant to be a big moment for Harriet. You know, why, why do we get this moment between these two friends? What is it Austin is trying to say maybe perhaps about, about Harriet and perhaps about Emma and maybe even their relationship? Well, I think for the relationship between them two particularly, I think this is when Harriet actually kind of, sort of, kind of, takes back her herself. Mm. Because we know Emma's now pushing her to Mr. Churchill, even though she's not. Because she said, I'm not going to do anything this time. I'm just going to let it bear out. But I think I know who you're talking about. But really, she has no clue. But wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Like, like, oh yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, mm, yeah. And she's thinking it's Mr. Churchill, and of course, Harry is is knowing it's Mr. Knightley. And I think so. This burning ceremony that they go through is this way of her kind of taking control back in her thought process and saying, "Hey, you know, this is what you directed me to, and okay, now I'm getting rid of it." And again, I think I mentioned earlier when Harry, when Emma says, hey, don't burn the court blaster. She's like, no, I'm burning it. I'm burning it all. One of those very few moments where she's insistent with Emma. Yeah. Right. She says, I'm burning it all. And that's it. And so for her, it was like, okay, I'm kind of taking some control back. And I'm going to fall in love with who I think I should fall in love with. Because Mr. Knightley, again, he don't have no even thought about Harry Smith. And so again, she, in a sense, is still doing this naive kind of thinking, okay, yeah, he rescued me at this party and he danced with me. And so therefore he's going, he sees my qualities and he's going to be with me. No, he's not, girl. And she just hasn't yet collected. She probably trying to hold on to something. She just hasn't found anything to hold on to him yet. 
symbolically to put in her box. But she's heading toward that thing again of trying to make somebody love her by osmosis, you know, by her thinking about them and being about them and maybe trying to get an object. I'm sure she's probably trying to kill for something from the house or some strawberries or something. She's trying, but that's who she now wants. And she's doing the same process, but she's now kind of been taught by the master in a sense by Emma. Like, okay, you know, you said I can do something higher. Okay, I'm going higher. And of course, that's to the detriment of Emma because Emma then realizes, of course, that she's in love with Mr. Knightley herself. Right. And so that is, well, I think, what a symbol of that situation with them. And then with Harriet, like I said, it's just her claiming back herself. Harriet claiming back herself, and then the relationship themselves are changing, where Emma no longer can be so in charge or manipulative because she's not there, she's not changing her mind on who she should be with. And she never gets her to be from Mr. Churchill. It's always going to be Mr. Mr. Knightley. And when Mr. Knightley doesn't want her, you know, she goes cries for her hot minute again. <laughs> and then she goes right back to where she was supposed to be the whole time, which is with Mr. Mr. Mark, who's not being manipulative to be with her. And she doesn't have to change yeah. to be with him. Yeah. He already likes her. And he brought her walnuts. I mean, what more could <laughs> she have asked for, Right. True love. And he has a very sweet little cow that will be her cow. <laughs> right. What else does she want? And also, we never have a Robert Martin letter burning ceremony. Like, that that's something no. that never happens with Harriet. You know, looking at the items that Harriet is burning, the court plaster and, and the, the pencil, not only are they literally pieces of garbage, but they're also very, very flammable. Like, they're flimsy kindling, oh, yes. you know? Oh. It's just like, chuck them in, and they're gone in a, in a flash, you know? There's nothing yeah. substantial to this. So I do I do think that there is that kind of catharsis for Harriet, but I, th- I think it also is kind of revealing that there's that there's nothing that she's actually having to really slough off too significantly. That it's, it's, you know, we burn it, we're done, moving on. We move on. And the thing about it is, what she will eventually learn, is that... The relationships that she was having for Mr. Elton and Mr. Knightley, of course, were one-sided, first of all. She doesn't need things from Robert Martin to have a relationship with him. There is a relationship. It's a relationship with his sisters, with his mother, with him. It's not a thing that's crafted in her mind or crafted or manipulated by Emma. It was real. It's tangible. I don't have to have a treasure of trash to make him come in my presence for me to be in his presence. He wants to be in her presence. And so he's something that isn't shaken off like these things that she just burns like Kenley. He he's still around. He he's around even throughout all her ridiculousness. He is still present and faithful and there. Tangible. Robert Martin, like a sturdy oak tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I also love that this scene, I mean, it is a tender scene between friends. Yes. Because yes, we've talked a lot about how manipulative Emma is. And that's, you know, we cannot overlook that. At the same time, this is, you know, Harriet has come to her friend to say, I've come to this realization. Let's you and I have the ceremonial burning. We're in agreement. Elton is the worst. And so I, I do love that there's also this kind of 
subtext of friendship and solidarity. And it's not without its problems, right? Oh, yeah. But that there is this, I'm coming to you as my close friend to have this. And, and it is very ceremonial. I love that Harriet makes it a ceremony. And she's like, and now I am done, you know? Right. Well, you asked the BFF. I mean, you know, because she said, I, I'm, I'm making a confession to you. I'm ashamed of what I've done in keeping these objects. And, you know, Emma partially is like, why? First of all, again, what are you having in this box? But <laughs> she's like, okay, you know, and she takes it all in. And so it really is a relatable moment of what best friends would do. You know, she's like, hey, I've been doing stupid stuff for this guy and I'm confessing it to you now and you're going to help me as my buddy get over it. And so this is what we're going to do. Now, today, we don't do that. But what we'll do is we go get some ice cream, <laughs> some pizza. <laughs> and that is our bonding moment over the, the relationship that ended or whatever the case may be. And that's what we do. And your friend is still your friend, even though you did a stupid thing with this person. And now you have to make a confession, you know. There's something really sweet about this scene in that you know, Emma doesn't laugh at her. No. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't mock her. She's she's really quite gentle with her. I mean, it is Emma. So as you pointed out earlier, Damie, like she can't prevent herself from still being like, are you sure you want to throw that away? Are, are you sure you want to burn that? <laughs> like, she still has to have some kind of opinion right. on the situation. Some control, yes. Of course, I, I would hope that Emma wouldn't laugh at her because a lot of this is also of her own making. Right. So. And the cynical side of me is then, she doesn't laugh at her. She's very supportive. But in her mind, she's like, okay, in listening to this story and listening to her confession, I'm absolving myself. Because again, she's like, oh, my sin, oh, my sin. And she's absolving herself of the sin that she did of directing her to Mr. Elton. And then at the same time, we're like, ooh, we've ridden Mr. Elton so I can rid my sin. And now you can go to Mr. Churchill, <laughs> who is much better for you than Mr. Elton. So. That's the selfishness part, even though she loves Harriet, but they're still like, okay, now we can yeah. move on. It's like, oh, I've been kind of feeling bad about this, but you're over it. So great. I can be over right. it too. That is so true. <laughs> because Harriet's never mad at her. That's the thing. She's a little, you know, doubtful when she's like, oh, you need to say to Mr. Martin, no. But even then she's like, oh, I'm going to take your wisdom and advice because you're my friend. And so she doesn't even get upset of that. So Emma gets off very lightly yes. in the sense of, how badly she kind of screws Harriet's life. She could have been married to Mr. Martin, what? Months ago. So she could have been really upset. And the saving grace I think of it is, is that Mr. Robert Martin does love Harriet. So he waits out her silliness. I'll be here waiting with my nice family and my cute cow. And my cute cow. Just you wait. <laughs> and, I'll be, and I'll just wait it out. And, and, and he does. So... So the fact that Harry doesn't get mad at her and, and because Harry believes, I think, that Emma has her best interest at heart. And that's a friend thing. Well, and I do love that, that Damien, you've put that frame on it for me, that, that now it is that there's a mutual confession happening in this scene with, with Harriet confessing, but then Emma being like, okay, mea culpa as well. I did something, my sins, I manipulated that situation. And that it allows their friendship to remain on a decent footing but then also to allow Harriet a little bit more free reign. Like, I, I, I just think you've really, really put a really lovely finesse on that scene that I hadn't seen for myself before. Yeah, like Harriet is having that little little bit of privacy now, right? Like she's going to keep, we're not going to say the name or anything like that, you know? Right. 
it happens, it will happen and you will know it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, there's really, there's no crush like a Harriet Smith right? crush. <laughs> she goes all in, doesn't she? To her detriment, but she goes all <laughs> <Yeah>. in. <laughs> she goes all in. Goes all in. Well, Damie, thank you so much for joining us for this episode to talk about Harriet's treasure box. Just, it's such a delightful scene to unpack. Can you tell our listeners about where they can find you online? And I know that you have a book coming up. So just all of that. Okay, so they can find me on Facebook, Black Girl Loves Jane. Just type it in the search. In Twitter, it's Black Girl Loves Jane 3, the number three. And you can just search that as well. My book, my fingers crossed it will be out by the end of the year. So that's what my goal is by the end of the year. It's called Persuaded. And it will be a modernized version of persuasion told through the eyes of a preacher's daughter that gives it a similar feeling of the village and everybody knows everybody's business. And so I thought it would be a very good adaptation of, of the world of persuasion. Love it. Yeah. So hopefully by the end of this year. Okay. Great. Looking forward to seeing that. So definitely follow you on Twitter and Facebook to keep up with all the updates. Yes, definitely. Thank you again, Damie, so much for coming on. We, we enjoyed having this conversation so much. It's been so much fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Damien Scott for joining us for this episode on Harriet's Treasure Box. You can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode, where we will be talking about Lady Catherine de Bourgh's much-vaunted chimney piece. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye.